Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. It's a different show tonight. It is just after 8 o'clock here in the UK, 3 o'clock on the eastern side of the US. Uh, and, uh, what, three hours uh, before that, so midday uh, on the left coast. Hello, wherever you are. That music can mean only one thing. We're in our best bibs and tucker. And it is the show of the year. Of the show of the year. Of the year of the show. Um, now, straight away tonight we have sad news because Tim won't be taking part in the programme he's not very well but the stalwart that he is he's still up in London making sure that our adjudicators and accountants are working hard on the votes for our categories this evening which have now closed the voting has now closed Uh, So the adjudication and the adding up is going on even as we speak. Uh, Tim has been excluded on medical grounds is the official release that is coming out tonight. No such problem for Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. And uh, you're obviously not an I'm a Celebrity fan, are you? Why is that? Because that is excluded on medical grounds. There's a running joke about one of the contestants this year. Ah, okay. Um... I, I'm sorry, I don't watch reality television unless it's live sport. That's the only reality, reality television I'm interested <laughs> in. Uh, and um, I, I'm I'm in Burberry tonight. Um, no. I, I, I hope you like the slight contrast between the uh, the dark navy and the black collar. But um, in, in the dinner jacket, obviously, what else is a bloke going to wear? Um, who are you wearing? Uh, I'm wearing a very uh, fetching Marks and Spencer's dressing gown, actually. Well, it's you and Tim both, actually, but at least he's got grounds for it. So you've come as Arthur Dent, rather. No, 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 because I, I've been out training. By the way, I'm now a qualified manager. Are you? What, Man- that, manager yeah, of that, what? Well, that is the ultimate question. Right. Uh, something we have to look after me. And uh, yes, I came in. I, I, I came in. I've relaxed. I had a shower. I'm wearing. I've been eating Pringles. Oh, it's a luxurious life for me on a ward tonight. I can tell you. Excellent. Right. Very good. Uh, the responsible adult uh, is wearing uh, a. Now, what did she say? She was wearing. I know she said she had a pink diamond. And Tom Ford. Tom She's Ford. wearing Tom Ford uh, this evening. Fantastic. Uh, and she is floating around, mingling at the moment in the star-studded gala. Uh, we'll have. <laughs> yes. Well, let's be honest. Uh, uh, we've got a lot to fit in tonight. Andrew Cotton, race car engineering. Uh, we spoke to him earlier today before the World, World Motorsport Council, but we're going to try and, and uh, do a link up to the States and do some analysis of what we've heard from the LMP 2020 regulations. I've got them in front of me. I'm still digesting them uh, at the moment. Uh, and they're, 
a lot more weighty than the finger food that we've got at the moment. Let's have, stop it. Uh, let's have, we've got seven categories to go through tonight, plus a lot of news. Let's have that news jingle, please. Tim from London. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And it's welcome to Midweek Motorsport, uh, the show of the year, to share Adam. And the uh, the first thing to ask Shea before we even get into any of the news, uh, as it is the show of the year and we've all got dressed up, uh, who, are you we- who are you wearing uh, for the show of the year, Shea? Well, as recommended by Miss Anna Wintower, I chose a vintage Vera Wang. Oh, very good. Very good indeed. And I do like the Manolos as well. Very good. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Clutch bag looking very sparkly this evening. Um, of we've course. We've got quite a bit of... Um, quite a bit of sports car news to come but let's crack into some american news first of all uh probably the least surprising story of the week is alonso <laughs> well we're in our we're in we're in our hang on this we're 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 in our award show and alonso has a bow tie oh very good Yes, the uh, the news that we were expecting, although I'm not going to say the most uh, unsurprising news story uh-huh. because we'll get to the NASCAR one in a moment, and right. that one's been coming since about August. But Fernando Alonso will be running Chevy Power at the Indy 500 with McLaren. Of course, this shocks uh, who, John? Uh, is, is there anyone out there? Anybody? Uh, no? There's one hand up right at the back, but I think that's uh-huh. someone who's been living in a cave for a year. Yes, or sleeping through class. Uh, Nobody should be surprised by this, having uh, Fernando Alonso announced last week around this time that he would be joining Wayne Taylor Racing in their Cadillac DPI for the 24 Hours of Daytona. He's going to be running on multiple ovals this year with the bow tie power, and here's hoping that he gets to the finish with this one this time. Well, and uh, Neil Wooding, who joined us last week about that car swap between Jimmy Johnson and Fred, um, was also saying that... uh, he expected that that would be announced shortly from talking to the the guys there. Uh, I suppose the question, and this might be a more of a question for for Jeremy, does that give him a better chance at the Indy 500? And and that's that's the big race. That's the race that McLaren IndyCar's team, um, which is a team of one at the moment, uh, being Fernando Alonso, one car. Um, does that give them a better chance at the Brickyard? Well. <laughs> It's too soon to say is the honest Mm. answer, because looking back at the way that IndyCar tends to work, the cars that win on the street courses early on in the year tend to not be the ones who win the Indy 500. Last year, it was Chevy Power, of course, that Mm. got to the victory lane with Will Power. Who knows what it's going to be in 2019? It's going to take until at least we're through St. Petersburg and Long Beach to know who's going to be stronger running on the Oval. Uh, and we do have our IndyCar uh, review coming with uh, Jeremy Shaw joining myself and Shea Adam uh, later this week. More details of that are on the website. So check radiolamon.com, scroll down to the bottom and look at RS1 and the schedule there for all the details. Staying with IndyCar, um, right now, right now at Sebring, uh, we've got Penske testing They are, and they're running the short course. Uh, Will Power is there. Of course, he's going to be diving out of there pretty soon because his mug is going to be unveiled on the Indianapolis 500 trophy since Mm. he is champion, as previously mentioned. But uh, they've got Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pagano out running around. 
And those boys, if social media is any indication as to how much they missed driving a race car, are happy as clams. Uh, the only thing that might be slowing them down is a bit of rain in the area, John. So if that happens, they would probably park up. Uh, Indy Lights out testing at the moment as well, but uh, well, also in Florida, yeah. but not at Sebring. No, they're down at Homestead, and they did have to stop yesterday because of passing rain showers. No More way. indications of that coming later today as well. Mm, okay. Uh, and... Uh, a little bit of sports car news, but I mean, not huge news this. We've got more sports car news to come. But whilst we're talking about testing in Florida, uh, there has been some sports car testing as well. And with an IndyCar connection as well, because Felix Rosenfist, the new boy for uh, Chip Ganassi Racing in IndyCar, has been testing the 4GT at Daytona. The cars looking as if they've lost all their colors, <laughs> if they were scared quite badly. But <laughs> Washed I, I out. Like it. Yeah. All white, uh, Joey Han and Dirk Mueller both putting up some great social media videos if you want some uh, great 4GT noise in your ears this morning. But they've been out running around. And it looks like maybe the Mazda's been there too, but I can't confirm that. Yeah, uh, Bonnie Elise uh, as well, one of our uh, collective out there, heard cars went, was uh, was happy. Um, yes. do we, uh, some, some hints, uh, Shay, from the... Uh, Ford Chip Ganassi Racing USA guys that there, there was other surprises to come. The car's running in white with just the blue oval on. Yeah. Now, whether that's a testing livery or whether that will carry over, but some some hints that there were other things to come out. Now, do do we what do we expect Felix to be doing for them? And is there any hint of driver changes there? Um, I don't think there will be any driver changes. I think, if anything, he would be an addition to the car almost like a, a backup. Remember last year around this time, they also ran Ernie Francis Jr. in the car, gave him an uh, opportunity to drive it. So they like having new blood in the car just in case, but Scott Dixon and Sebastian Bourdais still listed as the third drivers in respective for both cars. As for the liveries, look at how successful throwback liveries were this year. The win at Petit Le Mans for uh, Porsche and of course the Pink Pig winning at Le Mans. Maybe Ford thinks that's what it's going to take. And please let us have a beautiful, maybe a black Ford GT when we get to the Rolex this year. That would be cool. No, that's that sounds well. Well, we missed that. That was the I was surprised they didn't do that when they came back to Le Mans. Funny enough, for the yeah. for the 1966 recreation liveries. I, I'm quite surprised that they didn't uh, do that. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's series uh, 13, episode 47. This is the show of the year. Shea Adam on the line this evening from uh, from Florida as usual. Uh, let's actually. Before the next vote is uh, comes through, before the results come through, uh, let's crack on with some sports car news. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Before that, um, uh, NASCAR. NASCAR, uh, another story that has been brewing for a, a little while. And um, it's a fast six for one particular driver, but not in the way that we would be talking about it if it was IndyCar. Sixth different team for Kurt Busch in NASCAR <laughs> in the uh, big series because Kurt Busch and his sponsor, Monster Energy, moving over to Chip Ganassi Racing, they are taking up the mantle of car number one. So Jamie McMurray officially out of that team. And Kurt Busch, who had previously stated that he was not going to be coming back with Stuart Haas Racing, moves over, takes up the one, and is going to be in a Chevy for 2019. Uh Six different team for Kurt. Is that just because he doesn't get on with anybody, or is it? Because, <laughs> I'm, I, no, I'm, I'm sort of 
tongue slightly in his side of mouth, tongue sort of slightly yeah. in cheek. But I mean, that's a lot of team. You know, we, we talk a lot about, don't we, how important it is to get continuity. And you think of people like Jimmy Johnson, you think of people like Scott Dixon, um, you know, being at teams for a very long time. Why does Kurt Busch move around? Well, it's about what people can offer him. He's been in the sport Good for point. quite a long time now. So it's not as if he's moving year on year, per se. But think about Chip Ganassi and what we were just talking about. Kurt Busch has a Ford GT in the monster livery, keep in mind. The opportunity to potentially drive the sports car one day, that's alluring. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, Kurt Busch is the last guy who did the double. He's the one who did the Coca-Cola NASCAR race after doing the Indy 500. Ganassi can offer him a seat in the 500, too. So he's thinking long term and looking at the bigger picture where he can dip his toes in more pots. Okay, Uh, that seems reasonable. Right. Let's crack on with a bit of sports cars before uh, Tim starts to wind me up. Uh, Let's go to the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours first of all. Well, we will be going there, uh, of course, uh, starting as Creelsey sort of intimated a couple of midweek motorsports ago to get some of the detail around an entry list that is filling up rapidly. And uh, two new cars to the mountain, although not with a a new manufacturer. Still Bentley Team M Sport, but it is the Gen 2 car, the second generation beast. And man, it's a cool looking thing if you haven't seen it in person yet. Sounds great. Sounds like a Bentley. They've announced that they're going to be bringing two cars again, but for the first time ever, the new car to come and try and attack the mountain. This is a team that, keep in mind, their debut at the race They were so close to getting on the overall podium. They finished third in their first year and second in their second year. And uh, it's Maxime Soule, Andy Suchek, Jordan Pepper, the South African getting his first start at the mountain, Stephen Kane, Vincent Abril, and Jules Gunion. So they've already listed their drivers, too, which means that we've now got three confirmed teams, if I'm remembering correctly, with the triple eight Mercedes. It's going to be a fun one. And that is that is a strong, strong lineup there. Maxime, oh, Andy, yeah. Stephen, uh, Vincent and Jules, all uh, well known to us. Jordan Pepper a little bit less so, but I hear good things about uh, about that young man. And they've got unfinished business there, haven't they? Yes, they do. They uh, it goes all the way back to if you remember Matt Bell driving a hero stunt, British Massively. Matt Bell should yep. say. Uh, hero stint after he suffered a little bit of carbon monoxide poisoning in the car. He felt sick, got out, and then had to get back in at the end of the race. And then on the final turn, had a misunderstanding with... Um, you oh, are so it? diplomatic. You are so diplomatic. I, I try. It was the Aston Martin. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to be like that. But uh, was nerfed off the track unceremoniously, if you're a Bentley fan. And uh, then wound up finishing fourth instead mm. of third overall. So they they certainly have a little bit of uh, unfinished business, as you say. All right, Shea, don't go away. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. More from Shea with some IMSA news, and there's plenty of it still to come on this week's Show of the Year. It's Midweek Motorsport on RS1. And that means, that noise, that noise, sorry, that bit of music, uh, means that we are ready for our first category of the year. Let's remind you of the nominees. It is our car of the year. Mercedes AMG F1, Sauber C37, Mercedes GT3 and Ford GTs. That's our two, two GTs 
uh, one GT3, one GTE, and two Formula One cars. Nick Damon is still with us. Um, Thanks again. Yes. Uh, and over 10,000 votes cast for our show of the year this year, by the way. That's a, certainly a record. Fantastic stuff. Fourth place, Mercedes GT3. Third place, Ford GT. I'm not going to tell you who's in second. And the winner, it's one of the Formula One cars. It's the Sauber C37, which was Nick's choice. Go me. Go you. With a massive 49% of the vote. Just remind everybody why you nominated that. Um, I nominated for... Uh, points per pound spent or dollars spent um, the massive improvement during the course of the season and the even more stellar improvement over the previous year coming from being dreadful to the midfield always improving the car uh, obviously in many ways you can see how good it was or how well Marcus Ericsson was going in yeah. it you know, you know Charles Leclerc was a fantastic talent showcased him obviously I have to give a quick, quick shout out to Alfa Romeo for being the uh, one of the reasons behind it which is the cash um, but well done to the entire team in, in Hinville and obviously they're starting a very exciting year next year with a new car where they have Kimi Räikkönen at one end of the scale and Antonio Giovinazzi at the other uh, and unfortunately the Sabre C37 can't be with us tonight as we have nowhere to park <laughs> it uh, but that's keeping with tradition of uh, all the award ceremonies this year people and things not turning up uh, hello to Stuart Hart who's listening live tonight to Rob Chalmers who's going to catch up I think uh, later on in the week as he's browsing through the WEC 2020 regs. Uh, Miles Cook is downloading the podcast this evening as we do things in a slightly different order. Uh, I'm just waiting for another set of heavy hors d'oeuvres to come around. Nick Damon is with us. Uh, we'll have another uh, category after we've spoken to Nick about Formula One news. Bit of Formula One news now. Formula One correspondent. Uh, Hooray! I should think of kind of more hooray in a sort of an award ceremony. And now, in third place, who? Hooray. In second place, Ra. And the winner is A. Very good. Very good. Um, not massive amount of news, but some uh, some driving news at least. Uh, is it test drivers or reserve drivers? You need to get this right. Well, otherwise, I get I do get very much told off. Is officially a reserve driver for Williams, uh, Nicholas Latifi. Uh, the F2 uh, winner, race winner, and son of um, Mr. Latifi, don't know his dad's name, oh, who has a vast so amount close. of money. Has a vast amount of money. Not as much money as, as uh, Lance Stroll, but he's another rich Canadian. Lots of cash. Lawrence Stroll has the money. Stroll, Lawrence, yeah. uh, anyway, but I think Lance has got it as well, to be honest. Um, yeah. Uh, so Nicholas Latifi, who's, he's, he's all right. He's not brilliant, but he is rich. Uh, and... What else did... What? Who else was announced this week? I saw somebody else getting a, a drive as well, wasn't it? Did you? Uh, did, did I just make that up? Maybe I did. What What else is is going on? Well, we have the, the MS... Not the MS. We have the, the uh, WS World Motorsport Council with all their exciting regulation changes. Uh, <laughs> in Formula One, that would be none, really? No, they've, 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 they've confirmed the calendar. Right, OK, good. Um, Tim would have loved that. He'd just like a good bit of calendar news. He'd just like a nice calendar. They've also done a little bit of, you know, fettling and chipping and everything else. They've, um, they've, they've, do you remember, I think it was one of the races this season, I think it might be in Russia, it might be in a different race, where there was a weird situation where at the start of free practice, there was a huge queue of cars at the end of the grid, even ages before first practice started. Right. 
You don't, do you? No. The reason they were there is because they were all taking penalties, and they were all taking penalties that would effectively put them at the back of the grid. Because you, the rule for this year was you, if you have more than 15 places of penalties, you're at the back of the grid. Well, four cars did that. And so to decide who would actually be at the back of the grid of those four cars, it was decided on who took the penalty first. And you officially take the penalty when you enter the track in an official session with the new bits of the engine. And so there was a queue for many, many minutes just so they could get out a bit earlier uh, and be the first person on the track and therefore the furthest forward of the people taking the penalties. Oh, yes, I see what you mean, yes. Yes, and, that, and, and the FIA right said that's ridiculous. So what the FIA have now said is that if there is more than one car being put to the back of the grid, the order will be decided on their qualifying times. So the idea is, therefore, it makes it worth their while. So you still qualify. go and qualify so because people just didn't bother qualifying because they knew they were going to be... No. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, and yeah, we, we still have three engines a year next year, so there's, there's likely to be a point at some point where some of the drivers need to take extra units, um, and therefore we may see this, this being brought into action. Um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 I think there's a couple of little tweaks. There's, there's a, oh, but the, the, the cars have got heavier again by three kilos. Um, it's beautifully written down. It was, um, yeah, um, one of the adjustments is the extra three kilograms adds a minimum weight, boosting it to 743 kilos, which is 200 kilos more than it should be. Um, it's like this. Usually, such weight hikes are related to specific rule changes, such as the addition of the halo, or, you know, move to wider wheels and tyres. This one was because the cars cut the, the teams were upset because they couldn't get down to the minimum weight limit. So they can't get all the addendums down to 740s. They're now 743. In fairness, oh actually, goodness. a little bit of a weight increase. Uh, if you say, right, well, right, we have an issue because of the regs, but it is good because it obviously it means you haven't got the situation where the taller drivers are having to turn into emaciated whippets so they can run. Um, which is a good point. Uh, the fact is, if you have a, a massive hybrid system, it weighs it weighs a lot, you know. There is a huge amount of if you think about those engines, the engines themselves, the up and downy bits are probably the same weight as they have, as they ever were. You know, the slightly smaller size is made up for by the the turbochargers compared to the two point six liter V eight we had. But they are they've got battery packs and uh you know and all, and all the associated stuff, and so they're carrying a huge amount more weight than they were. I do think that's the biggest problem with F one moment. I think it needs to be much lighter, but you know. See what goes from there. Every time you bring out a new car, it has to be heavier, longer, and wider. And we'll come to some of that in a little while. Hello to David Tubruise, to Uncle Grandpa, to Right Turn Lover, who's having uh, pork and proper English chips tonight, uh, which is a great, great way to support uh, or to uh, have the award ceremony. Why don't they have sensible food uh, like that at award ceremony? Mm. Well, hard with you. Yeah, you, yeah, with your finger food. Your fingers are all greasy as you're, as you're dancing on the keyboard, bringing us all in and out. Well, I, I, I haven't had any of the heavy hors d'oeuvres. I'm waiting for the ball food to come round. And, you know, it's, it's there's bound to be something. Unfortunately, it'll be with rice or with mash, won't it? So I won't be able to eat all that. It's too carby for me, that. You know. Carby. <laughs> you, know, you know what to say. Uh, any other news from you? Uh, there's not a lot going on. It's a quiet season. They're always they're they're all winning their awards from us and, and lesser award ceremonies. But the actual um, what's going on in the, in the in the wacky world of Formula One? Well, obviously they're all sitting around using as much time as they can uh, to redesign the cars. Uh, and when do when do we actually see those cars? There's a bit of a moratorium on what's going on now, isn't there? And they can't yeah. close. No, they can't do anything with them now. They they, they will be out uh, for the just prior to the first. Um, Practice, uh, uh, official test session, which I believe I'm, I'm, I should know. I think it's the last week of February. It might be the first week of of March. But what happens, of course, they all come out a couple of days beforehand doing filming days, and you can't see this on radio. I'm doing air quotes around. I could say that days. the rabbit ears were out. <laughs> yeah. um, 
as they get a chance to actually shake down the cars um, prior to the test. So, you know, not not with, with these stagnant, you know, with, with the fact the engines now actually work most of the time. Uh, and I think everyone, I think Renault is only a completely new one. Um, so I think that apart from that, everyone else is, is using versions they already have. So they should have a, a high level of reliability anyway, but obviously they want to make sure it's working. Now, Nick was talking about the World Motorsport Council. The other thing that came out of that, of course, was the uh, LMP 2020 regulations. We've been crawling through them. Um, got to tell you, there's an awful lot of confusion and... Uh, well, confusion. Uh, actually, about about what's going on. So what we are doing um, rapidly behind the sh- scenes is trying to get some consensus of opinion on what some of these regs mean. There's a lot that's come out that weren't in the regs. Now, in fairness, some of that is sporting regulation, which uh, hasn't necessarily come out at the same time or in the same way as the technical regulations. Uh, we know that the uh, ACO sometimes like to leak that to uh, specific journalists and, and people who work directly for the series, the WEC in particular, so some of those details or are partners thereof haven't been made public yet, although um, the guys who are in the pay of the WEC are reporting it. We're going to try and get to the bottom of, of all of it and hopefully try and break it down for you, but the regulations at least I, ha- I have been reading through, so we can go through some of that as well. In a little while we'll have Andrew Cotton from Race Car Engineering. Now, I recorded Andrew before he jumped on a plane uh, this morning uh, before these regs came out. And we'll have Andrew uh, and the expert view next week when we've had time to break it all down. But we will still have a little bit uh, of uh, reaction uh, in the uh, in the top of the second hour. So just after nine o'clock here in the UK. Keep your... Um, Keep all of your bits and pieces coming into at Specutainment, please. Uh, and uh, Miles Cook is going to be listening on the uh, uh, on the podcast, which will get that uh, fantastic team, even though he's very unwell at the moment. We'll get that up as quick as well. Uh, Specutainment, uh, at Specutainment, Alan Prosser says, are the 2020 regs going to change their name to WEC T20 soon? Very good. like that. Uh, Rob Chalmers seems to think you can use two homologated MG UKs on the front axle. I, I, I've read it says specifically only one MG UK. Hmm. Uh, and Stuart Hart says, just to add, I'm not 100% sure on the sourcing of the ERS. Can you take it from a different model in your range? It doesn't have to be for the same manufacturers, the way I read it. But, okay. Uh, so you could mix and match your engine. Uh, Three million euro lease separate from the engine oh there's the music again which means we're heading on to uh, another one of our categories and this is non-driver of the year Shea uh, nominated Corvette Racing as a group Johnny nominated Manti Racing as a group Total Wolf was the nomination of Nick Damon and I as much as for what he's done this year uh, but also as a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, nominated Charlie Lamb, Carl Lamb from Schnitzer BMW. Now here's a shocker. This is the biggest shocker of the night in any award ceremony that has an open vote. Very, very unbelievable. Corvette racing in fourth place. Extraordinary. What? No. Yes. Did the big boys vet what they're called not realise there's a vote on? Well, clearly. Uh, in third place, Total Wolf. Okay. So it's going to be something Germanic. Is it Manti Racing or Charlie Lamb? The, hang on, 
I will rip open the virtual. Actually, I can't rip open that because I've got notes written on a hat. I'm opening the envelope. And I've just dropped all my notes as well. And the winner is Carl Charlie Lamb from Schnitzer BMW. Um, he has won everything there is to win. Uh, he's going on to an ambassador role within BMW. And we wish him all the best. He's one of the nicest men in motorsport and I hope I bump into him soon as well all right we'll have one more in this hour and then another four in hour two uh, still to come more from Shea Adam about a load of IMSA news that we've got tonight Nick Damon is going to stay with us but next we're going to talk to Andrew Cotton the editor of race car engineering and now as i say i spoke to andrew this morning before he jumped on the plane to go to the pri show he is uh, en route he probably should be in roundabout in chicago by now picking up all of the regs as they drop through uh, first of all i asked andrew just how things were going uh, at uh, race car engineering and uh, what the future has been has to hold it's been very busy for them in recent times uh, we've introduced a whole load of new writers. So uh, this uh, month we've got Stan Sandoval writing for us uh, from the IndyCar fraternity. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of exciting stuff coming next year. So uh, it's it's all going very, very well. Now, when you have a, a, a magazine with the title, and it is still a magazine, although, of course, uh, much of it can be found online too, um, but it is actually a physical mag- magazine. But when that masthead says race car engineering, coming to the end of a season like this doesn't mean the end of your working year because regulations and looking forward to next year, development, all of that is actually quite exciting. Well, it is. I mean, the racing season doesn't actually finish. Uh, my off my off season is February. Um, and every other month we're, we're racing somewhere or doing something. So, uh, but yeah, the new regulations that are coming in, uh, they're quite exciting. Actually, we've got, uh, LMP coming for 2020. We've got formula one for 2021. We've got the new formula three cars running at the moment and, and next year as well, they've got new ones coming as well. So there's lots going on. Uh, the new, um, super formula cars are racing oh, yeah. next year as well so you know every which way you look there's something going on what potentially does this mean for what is current lmp2 which is actually also coming uh, to the end of its guaranteed first uh, tender term uh, and yeah. lmp1 privateers i mean presumably that law will have to be explained as well the way that the aco and fa have done their regulations is they do gte one year then they do uh, lmp1 then they do lmp2 so the new lmp2 regulations will come in next year we'll be able to see them next year ready for the following year i can't see that there's going to be a big change um but is that yeah. a, new, a whole new tender <laughs> process that has to be gone through again i would guess so uh, I don't know. We haven't been concentrating too much on LMP2 and the new regulations because they seem to be working. Uh, and there's Pretty plenty, well. of, there's plenty of other, other stuff to be looking at as well. Um, but having sold the cars and got the cars all sorted, and, and don't forget they're running in America as well, and they're yes, running until point. 2021. Um, the necessity to change it and to come up with something completely new uh, doesn't exist. Um, you know, the teams have got the cars, they've got the spares, they know how to run it. It is a privateer category in Europe or in the WEC. And so I don't really see the need for them to, to go too wild on the changes um, and inflict a lot of cost on the, on the teams to upgrade. 
and see above answer for GTE as well. BMW, you know, back in the fold as far as ACO rules racing in the WEC and Le Mans concerned with a, their first uh, GTE car, proper GTE car for, for quite some time. And that's all looking rather healthy. And the competition, both in the WEC and indeed in IMSA, GTLM, but effectively the same regulations, pretty healthy. Yes, for the time being. Ooh, okay, um, qualified, yes. Qualified, yes. Uh, I mean, you know, we have to wait and see. At the moment, it looks fantastic, and there's there's no faulting it. Um, but looking forward, uh, you know, what, what will happen to Ford? Uh, we know that Aston Martin and BMW have launched their new cars this year. Uh, Corvette is coming, I assume, next year, tail end of next year, maybe in 2020. Um, and Porsche, they have said that they will or they have committed to uh, to GTE Pro, um, but they've also said they're going to put a lot of effort into GT3 as well and get that back up to back up to speed. There are some bits and pieces that we can discuss. Uh, one of which I certainly think, um, you know, there are plenty of people out there who want to give the ACO and the FIA brickbats. I'm prepared to hand over quite a pleasant bouquet. Um, I was against the fuel and tyre at the same time regulation when it was brought in. Uh, I had severe safety concerns, particularly at Le Mans. Thankfully, um, nothing bad happened there. But it it did, exactly as some people uh, predicted, take out a lot of the strategic element. It was done in the name of, quotes the show and trying to get the pit stops a bit quicker. The, uh, the ACO and the FIAWEC, God bless that little cotton socks, have taken a look at it and thought, yeah, Unintended consequence was that strategy of tyre management has gone missing and they've decided to overturn it. Fair play to them, Andrew. Absolutely. Um, it was total rubbish that it was going for this show. I just didn't <laughs> didn't buy that at all. Can where, you come off where, the fence on this one, Andrew, please, who, really? Who thought that was going to improve the show? I mean, that was just nonsense. And and I had a conversation with Pierre Fion on the, on the grid at, at President the... President of the uh, SEO? Yeah, at the, at the Le Mans test day. And I said, what are you doing? Um... You know, please reverse it. And he, he sort of said he agreed. And that maybe <laughs> maybe he, he was a bit surprised that I should say such a thing. But never mind. Um, I think it was a safety issue. Uh, if you have to get the drivers in and out of the cars uh, quickly, and don't forget, we, we have that in GT racing as well. And, and obviously, uh, the Lamborghini drivers had a, had a slight problem mm. uh, at the Nürburgring in September. Good point. Um, you know, getting the drivers in and out uh, quickly and being able to do up the, the seatbelts quickly... I don't think that's got a place in racing, not at the moment, not in today's safety conscious world. There was another side to it as well, which was the LMP1 cars were supposed to this year introduce uh, these leg tunnels that would protect the legs from flying around in uh, in the, the cockpit in the event of an accident. Um, they couldn't ever introduce those leg tunnels while you had to drive, get your driver in and out very quickly. Yeah. So. You know, from from that point of view, they weren't able Good. to introduce these the safety aspect with the regulations as they were. And as you said, it, it took away the strategy, which has always been a part of endurance racing. I, I'd far prefer that they slow down the pit stops to the point that the drivers can get out, have a chat, you know, have have a little conversation with each other, you know, maybe have a cup of tea together, and and then send <laughs> the car out again. I mean that. Let, let's let's face it. The ACO and the FIA have taken away. You're not allowed to spin the wheels when you're leaving the pit lane, which is a, a real shame at Le Mans. But they say they're doing it on safety grounds. So I do go to the IMSA and 
put my tape recorder and my my phone next to uh, next to the, particularly the Porsche pit stops just to just to get them lighting up the tires and out because it looks great and it is wonderful. Mm. But if the FIA are going to say you're not allowed to spin your wheels because in the interest of this being an endurance race, then don't make driver change and and actual safety Correct. part of it. Either. Part of the race, you, you do not yeah. want to be shaving time off a safety from a safety related uh, situation. I totally agree with you. The, the other thing I hate to see is a car going up and down on its air jacks whilst you've got a fuel probe in. Um, well, I, yeah, that, 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 that really the annoyed Martin me. guys as well because they they made their decision to go to a fuel probe uh, and away from a, a, a actual mechanism that locked the fuel line to the car um, and then they changed the regulations so suddenly you've got a fuel probe in the car that's bouncing around rather than something that's actually locked on uh, but the, the decision was taken and the contract signed when the ACO came up with this plan mm. um, so I'm delighted that they've reversed it and I can't wait for everybody else to go the same way well I agree and, and, and that you'll get no argument you and I don't always see things eye to eye and we've had some cracking discussions uh, in the <laughs> past about various things some race related some not at all um, no totally agree on that um, so that will start in the FIA um, season which is the first of the uh, I suppose what we are going to have to get used to seeing the normal season. So that would be the 1920 season. So Silverstone at the end of uh, August, beginning of September in yep. uh, in 2019, that will come into force. Then it's it's back to the future, if you will, back to where we were before. Uh, what I haven't seen yet is whether we're still going to ha- just have the one go back to one wheel gun and do that little dance, or whether it's going to be still two. So I- I'll wait to see the the, the details on that but of course well, the, the, the drivers won't have time to put the milk and sugar in the tea if you have yep. if you've got more than one tire gun yes good point uh, and uh, but we will see it enacted earlier than that because the european le mans series are going to put that into effect in their next season which of course is still a calendar year season rather than the split year so we'll see that much earlier and be able to revel in the fact that somebody who uh, is good with their tyres, gets an advantage in an endurance switch, which to me is entirely good, uh, is entirely right and proper. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that you've been very critical of uh, of the SRO and, mm. and Blancpain with their their uh, manufactured pit stop, shall we say, the the length of times. Um, but you know, tyre changing is a part of it. You know, particularly the WRT team managed to uh, play, raise merry hell with the regulations when they went to Laguna Seca last year. Mm. Um, you know, they worked out it was quicker for them to change the tyres and take the penalty um, rather than somebody else who just about could get the tyres changed in the at maximum pit stop time. So, you know, it is all part of the game. Yeah. Um, you're, you're always looking for that unfair advantage. And if you are quick with your tyres, it just costs time in the in the workshop. Um, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, something that uh, that is a, a performance related thing, you know, from from the car. Uh, this week, the entry application for 2019 season for ELMS is open. Uh, the biggest draw here, particularly for LMP2, is uh, two entries. First and second place teams in P2 invited to the following year's Le Mans, which will be the 2020 Le Mans uh, in the LMP2 class. Uh, that is a slight change, and clearly that will in uh, in possibly interest some of the LMP2 uh, guys. We've mentioned the tyre changing. That happened straight away. How do you feel about success ballast? Uh, race car engineering, uh, mm. success ballast, to me, is has always been a little bit of a sledgehammer way to balance performance, but uh, 
that's coming in 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 the GTE part of the uh, the ELMS. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that um, <laughs> at all. I've seen Success Ballast working in the FIA GT Championship for many years. Um, you know, the Dodge Vipers in the in the late 90s and early noughties, they were able to carry 50 kilos of Success Ballast and then they went up to 100 kilos when they got a super Success Ballast because they realised they couldn't slow them down enough. Um, if, they've got, if they have to run with Success Ballast, it just suggests that the races aren't challenging enough and they probably need to do something else to make it a bit more challenging and a bit more uh, competitive. Um, if you start putting weight on a car and you start putting too much weight on a car, then you change how a car behaves on any given circuit and, and it always is reactive rather than proactive. Mm. Um, the is there a or- safety implication as well there, Andrew? You build a car, it, it, particularly in GTE, we're not talking about... Um, GT3 cars or GT4 cars, which are a balance of performance category. I, I realise yes. that there's equalisation in in uh, GTE now as well, and don't get me started on that because I don't think there's any place for it. But um, <laughs> but you know you, you're potentially adding here. There's there's three areas. Um, the last two races being one A and B, and see your current championship standing. So if you win the first two races of the season. Uh, therefore you're first in the championship you'll go to the third race with 45 kilos um, ahead of someone who hasn't been first, second or third and is not in the first three in the championship 45 kilos, that's half, that's more than half my, no that's about half my body weight, I'm 100 kilos now <laughs> so so that's that's about half my body weight, that's not an insignificant amount and surely there's got to be a safety implication as well in that yeah, I mean, you've got the brakes and you've got the tires and you've got the, the inertia when you go, the, the kinetic energy when you go into a into an accident or, or all of that. I mean, a car can stand it. That's that's not an issue. You can right. just beef them up and, and get on with it. Um, but the issue is if you go from a very low uh, performance, uh, from a braking performance on one track and you go to a very or a very demanding track for your brakes at the next one, you're going to be doubly penalised. Mm. Um, and that was always what they were trying to get away from when they did the auto BOP uh, to stop being so reactive. Uh, and the other thing that you'll find is that people will start calculating at the beginning of the season, as they Correct. did with the World Touring Car Championship years ago, Correct. which races they can go to and actually take penalties from to finish up with the lightest car at the most successful circle, the circuit they're most likely to be successful on. Um, and then you'll finish up winning by a country mile and everybody starts waving their arms about and saying how unfair it is. Um, and it just opens you opens you up to, to all sorts of criticisms and uh, the opportunity to get it wrong is is relatively high. I'm, I'm not convinced. Uh, well, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. Um, strike that from the record, Your Honour. Um, I'm not sure what question this is the answer to. Because now, and I'll say straight away, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the ELMS paddock. Um, Johnny Palmer is our man uh, for that. Um, but I'm not aware that people have been running around with their hair on fire saying in GT Le Mans, in ELMS, which is, you know, a reasonable entry, but not a huge one. Oh, we absolutely need to have success ballast. Have you heard something different to that? No, I haven't. I mean, it's the same thing as improving the show through refueling and changing tyres at the same time. It's not a problem that ever existed. Um, so I'm not quite sure what they're trying to fix. I agree with you. It's it's a nonsense. Mm. Just leave it leave it alone. It works. You've got balance of performance. You've got uh, auto BOP. Um, it works. Let's not worry too much about it. Even if it's for GTE uh, AM, then you, you can still use last year's uh, Pro uh, system. Yes. And it, it works. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Don't. don't 
it ain't broke, don't fix it. Many years ago, uh, when I was doing WEC TV, I remember asking the question, what's wrong with GTE? Nothing. What is, needs to be changed? Absolutely nothing. And that went on for two or three years. And um, I'm not sure we ever should have come away from that. But anyway, let's leave that. One, one thing, I mean, driver rankings, Not. I mean, that's, oh. that's something we could talk about for hours. We won't. However, there were a couple of what were called temporary dispensation from the rules uh, last year, which raised a, a few eyebrows. DKR's uh, LMP3 drivers were all three silvers. Uh, they did race, and that was controversial. Uh, G-Drive uh, applied to have two golds and a platinum. Um, that was Jev, uh, Janik Verm, Roman Rusinov, and uh, Mathieu Vaxvier. Uh, they didn't. Uh, race actually in that uh, in that trio, uh, so that's not going to be happening. So no temporary dispensations. I don't have a problem with that. I think if you've got a set of rules for uh, and regulations for drivers, everybody should go it. Uh, and no more points scored for race by race entries. They will appear on the final classification. Um, that would potentially stop teams, particularly in GTE where there's BOP coming in with a only a 15 kilo penalty for not being at the last race and, uh, and trying to spoil the party at the end of the season. I, I, again, not sure either of those questions or that question particularly or the dispensation one, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but I don't see too many problems with those, Andrew. Not really, no. I mean, the driver grading thing, you know, uh, we have heard consistently every year uh, of drivers being uh, unable to play their trade because of these driver grading systems. And and I was spoke, spoke to Emanuele Piro about this a few years ago because he's heavily involved in it. And he said, if you can come up with a better system, please Agreed. do so. Um, we don't have a better system, unfortunately. But uh, this was all designed to try and get the pros out of uh, LMP2 or LMP675, or, mm. or I can't even remember what it was when when uh, when it was introduced. But you know, trying to to make it amateur and trying not to get the pros involved and trying to keep it as a as a LMP2 particularly as a gentleman class. Um, yeah, you can. You we need to find a way of doing that or allow them to race. And uh, I don't know. There, there is no better system, but I I hate it. <laughs> well. I've said this before. Is it a perfect system? No. However, um, do we have more drivers earning more money than ever before, particularly in GT racing? Yes, we do. And uh, no uh, lesser light than Johnny Morland will always say, listen, if you're a good enough driver and you work hard enough, you'll either find a budget or you'll find a seat. Uh, and if you're fast enough, you'll find a seat. Um, and I, I think that's hard to argue with if it was me that was doing the FIA driver rankings um, I quite like the fact that you put in a set of results and an age at the top and there's an absolute set of transparent if then and you get something spit out at the bottom of the spreadsheet if you like Um, Mm. I I think they could look at the weight and the importance that are given to certain championships they could do with the tweaking but I, I don't see there's a better there's a better uh, system out there. And just seeing whether somebody is paid or not paid, brings money or doesn't pay money, doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's never worked. And that would throw up way more anomalies than anything else. Before I let you go, because I know you're um, on a plane, so you're getting yourself sorted for that. Um, What's the cover story for for the next race car engineering? Oh, you've caught me now. Uh, Mercedes, Formula One. Ooh. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I'll... So Mr. Collins has been getting involved in that. So he's going to do. He's going to. Yeah. Is this all about hubs and and burning oil and? Every, is it just a general Mercedes thing or is it something specific? I don't know. I'll tell you when I read it. <laughs> Collins. <laughs> Collins under the radar once again. Well, he, he he likes to float under the radar. Yeah, he's uh, he's generally safer down there. <laughs> That's all right. Andrew, <laughs> travel well, enjoy PRI, and and if you don't mind, if you can come back and unpick World Motorsport Council next week here on Midweek Motorsport, I'd be much obliged. It's Andrew Cotton, uh, who'll be back with us next week. The man who is the editor of Race Car Engineering, uh, and uh, he was actually he dropped me a line actually was just before he got on the plane he was talking about the next one after this week's race car engineering uh, out on friday formula e on the cover uh gemma has uh, been behind the scenes at formula e and also uh, been having a look at one of my favorite sports drag racing uh, and ricardo de Villa will be uh, looking at strategy thinking and giving an introduction to strategy thinking. That's race car engineering out Friday. Andrew, as he mentioned, will be back uh, next week uh, to uh, help us unpick some of uh, uh, of the bits and pieces that have come out of the World Motorsport Council at the day. Nick Damon is still you, with us. You've, you've just pricked my 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 uh, knowledge about. Uh, I, I need to tell you something about Formula E. Yes. Um, I'm going to exclusively reveal that I will not be showing live coverage of Formula E in the UK this year. Really? Unlike everybody else who is. Okay. They've got BT Sport. They've got Pick. They've got. They've literally have given it to everybody in an attempt to get okay. someone to watch it. Good. Well, but I wonder if that in the UK will just split the 527 people who watch it amongst well, 16 different channels. That's what we need to find out. But they have genuinely. They've got. They've gone the complete reverse from what you would normally expect. That. Uh, it's, obviously, it's on YouTube. It's now on BT Sport. It's now on, I think, Pick TV. It's also on BBC uh, website. BBC, BBC as well. So there is no excuse for you not to watch Formula E, children. Okay. Mm, indeed. Uh, oh, and Eurosport apparently as well. Uh, success ballast. Your thoughts? No, 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 no place in the World Championship. Does it not suggest that you don't trust your regulations? Um, well, it suggests that you are trying to artificially even things up, which don't need evening up. If you've got, if you've got entertainment racing like touring cars, that's fine. But it's a success players. Um, but if it's supposed to be actually um, a world championship for proper cars, not pretend stuff for telly, uh, then success players has no place. As much as the way I, reverse grids have no place, but I have to put up with those in Formula 2. Uh, Dave Oldcock says, if GT um, already has BOP, then you shouldn't be applying success ballast. If you're going to kick a team for doing their job well, then where's the incentive for the, to improve and in, innovate? It's the wrong direction for a world uh, champion. Uh, Stuart's saying uh, hypercars using success ballast as well. It's not something uh, he's particularly compared uh, concerned about that's the half a kilo of weight per point scored. We'll get into that after nine o'clock tonight. Great, uh, that's not going to happen at Le Mans though. That'll be an exception, is what I've been told. Some of this is coming out of the sporting regs, which is different as well, of course. Matt Wood says, uh, BTCC Super GT success policy works great. No, it doesn't. They've had to they've had to revise the BTCC success bar because they went far too far and ended up having anyone near the front of the championship who couldn't qualify in the top twenty cars. They've had to completely revamp that for next year. Success bars does not work in a world championship. It's fine for entertainment racing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, the, I, I just think all it does is it makes you look uh, and play the game in a different way. It just means that you'll get to the circuits that suit your cars best with as little ballast on as possible. Uh, you'll work the system. Um, the the issue, um, the issue now the reason you can't have it at Le Mans is because that's the last race of the season. And so anybody who's miles and miles and miles ahead loses their opportunity to Le Mans. So that just shows that that isn't the right way to go, as far as I'm concerned. Um, if they're going to put half a kilo on per point for the, for the LMP 2020 regs, um, the T20 regs, which is what we're going to call them now, that's very good, uh, then uh, regardless of anything else, that's a different system, by the way, than what they're talking about, about GTM, which is three different points. So A, B and C all add up to give you your ballast and it's the result of your last two play last two races first second and third uh, 15 10 and 5 and your position in the championship 15 10 and 5 so if you win the first two races of the season uh then then you go into the third race with 45 kilos of ballast in it that's what i was trying to explain uh, earlier but if on. you skip and if you skip a race you get a 15 you get 15 which is a bit ridiculous you've already handicapped yourself by skipping the race no really because i understand that because it stops people bringing cars in at the end of the season with no ballast in to try and get amongst um, the championship. But they wouldn't, they've missed so many rounds. No, but to, like another manufacturer trying to get extra cars in. Hmm. I, 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 you know, I, I just don't like success ballast in a, world champ- in a proper world championship. You're listening to Midway I'm, Motorsport. It is I'm the show. It is the show of the year. We've got another category to do before nine o'clock, and then uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to Sportscar 365's editor John De Geese uh, about these new regs and trying to make some uh, sense of what is going on. Mm. Uh, but Nick has some two-wheeled news. Where would you? Like I to have. This? I'm going to reverse it round. I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. Fire away. Um, Okay, John, what, as of Monday, what do Mark Marquez and I have in common? Hmm. Uh, he fell off at Silverstone. No, uh, we have had our shoulders rebuilt. He's ah. undergone, because so it was popping out all the time. He's undergone uh, reconstructed shoulder surgery, which involves um, taking out a ligament and tightening up by stapling it, which is, um, and he's got a six-week uh, recovery period, which is going to take him right to the beginning of um the uh, the uh, testing season um and it is quite a major thing you have very limited movement and then what you what you actually do is you have to kind of re-stretch the ligament to get the left and right fore and aft movement of your arm which isn't quite so important in motor gp where a lot of the forces go vertically through your shoulders but it's uh, it's gonna be a little bit of a handicap you have to overcome it won't be at full fitness at the start of the of the testing season perhaps not even for the race now we i have i think there's been a, a kind of an equivalent of the World Motorsport Cars of Adorna, and they have come up with the greatest rule change ever for things that never happen. And when they do, this is like the bizarre rule change. Why are we bothered for it? Mm. And they have introduced a rule for what happens when a, a, a rider crosses the, the finishing line not attached to his bike anymore. Right. You had to be on or touching your bike to get scored. Yes, previously you had to be on on your bike or connected to your bike in some way to score any points. So if there was an accident coming out of the last corner, 
on you, slittle on the ground, and you were holding onto the bike in some way, you would still score points. But if you became uh, disenchanted, disconnected from your bicycle, motorcycle, uh, no points for either you or the bike. It wasn't like the bike score constructed points. <laughs> um, apparently, this, this did happen uh, once about a year and a half ago. So they've now written a rule that this is a great bit. Whatever, whatever the first bit is, the first bit of per or the first bit of bike finishing time. So, so, so if it's you over, or you, the bike, whatever, yeah, or any, it's the first bit of either. Even if you're not connected anymore, you win, or you get right. that result. Um, and I just think the idea of people, people like sitting there, kind of lobbing their bikes over the line type thing, in a kind of a, in a cartoon style. But it's um, you kind of think they, they actually spent time thinking about that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, more. Well, um, what name one of the perks of being a world champion? It works uh, both ways. Um, you get to in, invitations to go and do really cool things like do car swaps or vehicle swaps. Or how about if you've just won your fifth Formula One World Championship and you get a couple of days playing at Jerez with an actual world superbike team and an actual world superbike. Mm. Which is like, oh, thanks very much. So, so Lewis Hamilton um, got an invite from Yamaha. Uh, the the Yamaha. Uh, team, so with uh, Marco van der Mark and uh, Alex Lowe's, and was was running it round Jerez. Uh, I'm not quite sure how any of that fits in with the, the and he pinned it. He had an off. He, he had a low side, yeah. Um, apparently unharmed, as you often are with a low slide, uh, low side, and it didn't even damage the cars too much, but uh, bikes too much. Apparently though, he was he unsurprisingly, as they tend to be, he's, he's pretty quick. Did you see um, any of the pictures? He was getting it well over. Oh no, he was about. It's just. There's conflicting numbers, but the number I can get, he was only he was about four and a half seconds off, which, which is, is nothing. Very, very close. That's very good. That's but, very good indeed know, on a bike. It, yeah, but, but yeah, and if, if you look at the bike riders when they and come was out, that a, group, was that a full house race bike or was that a halfway house sort of what they let the journal was on type of? Race no, bike? it was it was. I think it was a it was a pretty much a full house bike. I'm, I'm not sure about whether it was actually full race tires or it's a special compound or whatever it was, but it was a, it, it was a yeah it was, it was a proper super bike. Uh, well, he did pretty well then. Uh, just We've got another category, which is Team of the Year, coming up before Ooh. 9 o'clock. And then we're going to get into the uh, WEC 2020 regs uh, with John DeGeese from Sportscar365. Uh, at Specutainment, get the questions coming in and we'll try and answer them for you. Uh, a little more clarity coming through with bits and pieces of information that we are uh, putting together. Hmm. Right, <laughs> OK. Uh, uh, final bit of bike news from you? That was it. No, I, I have no more bike news. That was those. That three is it. Were my, it is a slow news week as the as as all that's happening is there's not even any kind of gossip because all that's happening is people are going to award ceremonies. Okay, that seems reasonable. In which case, we'll have another piece of music. Actually, it's the same piece of music <laughs> again as we go on to the team of the year. Now, this has been pretty close, is what I'm hearing. Uh, it was Toyota Kazoo Racing, Mercedes AMG F1. TGM, Ted Giovannis Motorsport and Core Autosport so two IMSA teams uh, a Formula 1 team and uh, a sports car and rally team I suppose uh, a lot of block voting coming in I did notice that Core and TGM got on the Twitter uh, the moment it was announced last week and good good for them absolutely, go for it Yeah. Uh, so in fourth position was my choice I'm afraid Ted Giovannis Motorsport in third position for the team of the year on the show of the year 
Mercedes AMG F1. So it's between the might of Toyota Gazoo Racing and Core Autosport for the title of team of the year. And the winner is Toyota Gazoo Racing. The Giants have taken it. Now, what I don't know, but I'm, I'm waiting for that to pop up on my screen, is just how close that was. Oh, not that close. 45.7% for Toyota Gazoo Racing. We have got a couple of categories that were much closer. 23.8% for second place core autosport. And then 16.2% for Mercedes and 14.3%. So pretty much twice as much as anybody else for our winners. Congratulations to, to Toyota Gazoo Racing. And I would, I mean, they've had a pretty good year, uh, Nick. Uh, whatever anybody thinks, they've stuck with Le Mans, they've won Le Mans, but they also uh, have won the World Rally Championship for the first time since the 1990s. Uh, and, albeit just a team's championship, but that's, they will think Toyota Gazoo Racing are based in Germany, based in Cologne, and the parent company back in Japan will think that's a pretty good year. They've done really well. I mean, they've they've beaten they've beaten who was there. If people aren't there, it's not their fault. And and they they, they managed to get bring a bit of pre PR to the uh, in, World Endurance Championship by picking up Fernando, and they finally managed to win after the heartbreak of a couple of years ago. Uh, and I have a feeling that they will be instrumental in the new regulations, uh, mm. which are out in 2020. Uh, Nick is going to disappear to the bar now. Oh yeah. Uh, Champers uh, for me. Uh, 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 all right, then. Seeing as though you've done most of your work, enjoy the rest of the awards evening, Nick. I will, I will. Oh, oh no, oh, no, the dressing gown's flown open. There's nothing underneath it. Ah, I'm being papped. The dirty me. Second half of the show is next. I've locked Mark in the shed, so I get to say, still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we'll have more from Shea Adam in the second half of tonight's programme as we uh, have a look at some of the IMSA news. Uh, That's all coming up and we want to have, please, uh, your uh, submissions, please, uh, for myself and John DeGeese calling uh, in in a few moments to talk about the 2020 LMP regulations and the man behind sports car 365 is joining us on the line. That's all in the second hour of tonight's show of the year. Oh, and four more results as well. We'll be crowning four more show of the year champions here on RS1, Midweek Motorsport, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Uh, it's been a one of those days, I think it's fair to say. John DeGeese, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. How are you, sir? Ah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I, this has been a developing story. We kind of thought we knew where we were going with this. There was one or two things trailed. Um, we've now got uh, a little more of an idea where the regulations are going. It's rather come out in in dribs and drabs, uh, which has made sort of piecing this together a little more difficult than perhaps it it should have. But what we've got now is at least a direction, John, for the 2020 LMP regulations. We still don't know what the class is going to be called. Um, Extreme hypercar, LMP1 again, we we don't know, but at least we know where we're going, sort of. 
Yes, yeah, the, the formal regulations were released today by the FIA World, World Motorsport Council, as you guys talked about earlier in the show. Um, we're locked in for five seasons starting in 2020, and I think the biggest revelation from these set of announcements was a requirement for production powertrains. Correct. Um, there, was a, there was initially some confusion, I think, and maybe whether that extended to the production of cars too, of road cars, but it doesn't appear to be the case. Um, it looks like the, the requirement is that each um, hybrid system and internal combustion engine has to be produced on the road. At least there's a basis from the road going production engine of 25 in the, by the first season, at least 25 production cars that have that um, powertrain and at least 100 by the end of season two. Yeah. So. It looks like, you know, I think that's been the biggest news, at least from this set of announcements. But what we've got to say there, John, and, and, you know, we've seen this type of regulation from the ACO before, even with GTEs and Ford made use of that regulation um, when they had the Ford GT, um, because that was a production engine. It just didn't necessarily wasn't producing quite enough numbers in the Ford GT. They got a waiver yeah. uh, for that. And, and, and I'm reading... Um, into this that you could have potential, and we should say by the way we're here in the Glicken House is doing a deal with uh, General Motors to provide uh, their power plants well they produce power plants as much as you like and, and we should also say um, that there's obviously going to be uh, some tuning and changes being made to the internals of the engine and the block of the engine although crucially some um, exotic materials has been banned but it, it could be that you had let's say take Glickenhaus it could be a GM engine it could be somebody else's ERS unit a completely different hybrid unit but it would have to be called uh, Glickenhaus Chevrolet or Glickenhaus some GM brand is, is what I'm reading into that I, I, I guess so and I, I don't think there and I, and I don't think there would be a, a restriction on what the the bodywork would look like. I don't think it has to have any kind of resemblance to a GM car. It would have more of a resemblance to the Glickenhaus production car. I, Correct. That's my interpretation of it right now. But the bigger question is what uh, hybrid system would Glickenhaus go with, for instance, because I don't think they'd have their mass-produced – I don't think their production car is going to be mass-produced enough to fulfill that no, requirement. And and when you look at you know what other companies are out there, okay, I think the rule is that you have to have – each manufacturer has to make their hybrid system available to privateers. So maybe they could choose another manufacturer. Maybe they can go with a Toyota system or an Aston Martin system or whoever, whatever other OEM signs up for it. But I think there's still a lot of questions here. And, and another point, you know, I've sort of been thinking about lately is that, you know, we all of a sudden, you know, this is supposed to be open for privateers as well. And yes, an Onroke or a Dallara could go build a hypercar, but they're going to have to use an OEM powertrain Correct. that's already on the road so that rules out anybody like a, a gibson or a flybrid um, hybrid system for instance yeah until and unless that was uh, adopted by well, 25 in a year you could say a boutique manufacturer or almost a bespoke manufacturer could possibly build the first 25 but another 75 before the end of the second year that might be a bit out of of the reach some detailed changes john in terms of um, the physicality of the cars, they're longer, wider and heavier, up to 1,040 kilos. Uh, it was widely expected to be under 1,000 kilos. Um, slightly longer, they've gone up from um, 4.65 metres to 5 metres long uh, and from 1,900, um, 1.9 metres to 2 metres wide. Now, that's interesting to me because most of the current uh, prototypes, LMP chassis, means 
they would fit into that. So there's not. I think I'm reading into that that you could potentially use a current LMP one or two chassis and throw some bodywork around it and a manufacturer engine. I believe these new regs have a new uh, monocoque um, regulations because I think when the the FIA and ACO delayed the initial set of regulations right when Porsche withdrew, um, there was a, a a new proposal on the on the horizon for a different seat position with the drivers in the cockpit. Mm. I, don't, I don't think they're laying down as much. I think they're more Correct. upright. Um, so I think that a current LMP1 tub would not be allowed. Um, in these new set of regulations. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the, the case for that. But but also, like you mentioned, a bigger, wider car, um, also slower lap times. I, they've, they've projected, um, they're targeted a 322 lap um, in, in qualifying at Le Mans, 327 race pace. So that's significantly slower than what we've seen this year. And also it's closer to LMP2 levels of what, we, what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Well, when I was talking to Andy Cotton this morning, before all this came out, just as he was jumping on the plane, actually, he's bounced not too far from you because I think he was <laughs> getting his connecting flight to Indianapolis from uh, from Chicago. Um, we, we were seeing, you know, the difficulty here, and it is a difficulty, and, and it's easy for anybody to criticise the ACO and the FIA, WAC for this, but the difficulty here is balancing something brand new with what you've already got and how that'll fit with P2, how the cars will make their their lap times against say the gts which we know punch out of corners you've got to get that balance right to make the racing work particularly at places that are a bit smaller than le mans let's say yeah absolutely and certainly they're gonna have to slow down lmp2 there's no question about that but there's likely a new set of regs for those on the horizon so maybe that'll be incorporated into there but um, yeah, I think right now, you know, you look at what IMSA has done with, with DPI and, and LMP2 or whatever you say prototype is with, with mm-hmm. that, I think they've done a good job of separating the different platforms. You know, next year is going to be a new challenge with having DPI and LMP2 separated. But the way it was this year where you had prototype GT Lama and GT Daytona, where they effectively ran GTLM at the high end of the spectrum um, performance-wise, basically right at the top limit, where GTD was actually slowed down a little bit from GT3 standards. Yeah. So uh, ACO has to really look at something like this when they're shaping, you know, the the, the different differentials for, for the speed between the different classes when we get to 2020. Uh, Chris Suka has just tweeted in at Spec Entertainment. Hello, Chris. Uh, very thoughtful. He says, hmm, could the Gibson unit power something from the Janetta stable? It wouldn't be unthinkable. Well, Janetta used m- mainly Ford engines uh, in in terms of their their street cars, and that's that's where that is going to have to come from. But you know, fantastic uh, uh, if if it was to bring someone like that back, uh, and we'll come on to that in, in a little while. Um, a couple of sporting regulations that is that has also uh, raised uh, some eyebrows. Success ballast in the top class, half a kilo per championship point. John uh, removed for Le Mans. Uh, that is that is going to be a big talking point. Yeah, and uh, I'm really against success ballast. Uh, I think I'm with the, with the majority of people here on this. I, I don't understand the concept for sports car racing. I don't understand it for, you know, when you have a BOP or an EOT system already in place and then you add more penalties, you know, in, in the case of, of doing well, it, it, it works much better in other types of racing. And um, sure, the, the success ballast we're seeing for 2020 is minimal compared to what it was, what is, what is being proposed for GTEM and GTE and ELMS for next season, but it's still the, the point of having it. I'm, I, I don't like that idea. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what, what the ACO and FIA have been thinking about 
doing for, for this. Well, well, I asked Andrew Cotton earlier on about applying it to the GT category, and it's a question that I've not heard asked. And, and as I said, I, I'm not in the WEC press room uh, as much as I used to be uh, or in the ELMS, but talking to people outside of the race weekends, that's not something I've heard people asking about, although in the explainer on the uh, ACO site, go to it. It's very good. It's very detailed. Um, they say that that's something that has been asked for um, uh, for the GTE AM categories, but I, I don't see anybody asking that for the top class. No, not at all. And okay, we're starting off with a fresh sheet of paper in 2020. So maybe this is their idea of introducing this and, and seeing that it, it'll be a, a new element to the race, much like what you've seen in Formula E, for instance, where they have the fan boost and, and stuff. You know, you, I guess you can sort of, you know, okay, one's a penalty, one's, a, one's an advantage, but still maybe it's those along those kind of lines of thought um personally i still don't agree with it um gtem maybe maybe it will work there because you have the auto bop in gte pro which you don't um, AC- have in arm of course Cor- correct yeah so that's the big difference there um but we'll see how everything's regulated in terms of bop or eot for for the, these hypercar regs um uh Ike says um some of this is not the worst thing in the world, but I definitely see the purity argument. Ballast in Formula 1 be unthinkable. Uh, why is the WEC anything different, in spe- especially in what it are quite light cars at only, still only 1,000 uh, uh, kilos? Dave Alcock, if these rules are going to run from 2020 to 2025, which they are, and that's a good point, Dave, that we haven't mentioned. This is a five-year homologation. Uh, you're allowed to change... The, the, a manufacturer is allowed to change the car once in that time uh, and there's a couple of I think there's five jokers Evo jokers yep. that can play as well he says by then there'll be a whole clutch of electric GTs being released after 2019 Porsche with the Taycan the Tesla Roadster. Um now this the technology within those cars are battery changes in two or three minutes not seeing anything about that in the regulations can you see that being allowed not, not under these not, not under these current regs no agreed, way yeah, agreed yeah, yeah. um I, I i think in that case that the streetcar in some ways the streetcar technology is a little further ahead than what we're seeing in race cars although what we are catching up with john uh, that you see in some streetcars now even some quite mundane streetcars have it is uh, adjustable aerodynamics movable aerodynamic device mad mad uh two allowed uh, two positions for both and they have to work together you can't have one up and one down um, th- that is something that the manufacturers uh, the OEMs certainly have been talking about for a little while I've heard that discussion going on yeah and this was even proposed for the privateers I think a few years ago be- be- before they did this whole reset with, with the regs so it's been something that the ACO and FIA has been looking at um, it- it's going to be a little different than what we've seen in some other championships I, I think um, certainly, you know, with adjustments to the front and rear, um, like you said, they have to work together. Uh, let's wait and see what, what happens. You know, the, the costs were a, a big concern with, with this introduction, this planned introduction to the privateers now that it'll be for all competitors and in a mainly manufacturer-based category for what it appears to be right now for, for these hypercar regs for 2020. I think it's a, it's a smart idea because they aren't going to be, there's not going to be as much styling freedom or, or evolutions like like you said, um, throughout the, the five-year period. So if, if teams want to get some advantages and, and change some things up, it, this could be an opportunity for that. Um, 
Tom Firth says, right at the moment, I'm not overly excited by these regs, but I will give it a chance. I think we all have to. That's We, we don't know uh, enough about it yet. Um, he says a lot of what's been promote, proposed works in Super GT. That does seem to be the basis of that. Yeah, OK. Uh, that seems reasonable uh, as well. Um, one of the other things that's come out, if ballast, uh, success ballast for the top class is going to be controversial, a single tyre manufacturer is going to be just as contentious, John. Yes, so the proposal right now is to have a spec tire for each of the categories in WEC starting in 2020-2021. And the ACO's vision, from what I'm aware, is that they want a different manufacturer for each category. Oh, really? so, so, so say you're a Michelin, you know, you could only end up with one class, you know, pick LMP1 or, or whatever it'll be called and GTE Pro. You have to choose between the two. Um, I think it's their idea of trying to um, Raise more get money. as many partnerships. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no, there's an easy way to put it that way. Yeah. But, but John, I mean, let's, let's be honest. And, and I wouldn't like to be in the, the marketing or the business development side of the ACO and the WEC at the moment. They've lost an awful lot of activation uh, and, also money just straight money coming into the to the event and to the championship with the loss of audi first of all and then slightly prematurely porsche from lmp1 they've got to try and make up that shortfall somewhere absolutely and i think their long-term hope is with increased oem involvement in this these new regs but it's going to take time i don't think we're going to see more than three mainstream manufacturers in its first year you know we we've heard talk of toyota i think they're on the brink of confirming a hypercar program for 2020 um aston martin is very very close from what i'm aware of but beyond that for the first year there's really nobody else you know we've talked about glickenhaus and maybe some other privateers but they need uh, they need budgets you know the ACO OFIA need need um, capital in order to keep this championship going right. at the level that they have. You know, it's been incredible to see the growth. You know, having covered it from the start back in 2012, I still remember that Sebring race, that crazy weekend where oh, I still there, like, wake up in the middle of the night for that. <laughs> 13 podiums or something, and and just looking at how far the championship grew. You know, through the LMP1 era with the with the hybrids and and seeing the awesome battles between you know Toyota, Porsche, and and Audi. And yeah, we've reached this little bit of a lull point. You know, with Toyota, you know, running more or less unopposed in, in, in the current set of regulations. And I think there's a lot of excitement with these new regs in store. We, we still have some time to get to them, but I think ACO needs to look long-term on how to keep everything sustainable and, and having, you know, a, a single tire provider probably makes sense. Yeah. I, I know that goes against a lot of the fundamentals of sports car racing, but everything's sort of headed in that in that direction at this point. Um, that's John DeGase. He's going to stay with us, if you don't mind, John, just for a little sure. bit more. I'll go through a few of the tweets coming in. Our Johnny Palmer has said, GT and Ballast set uh, and, and and GT Ballast and ELMS set for the uh, 19 season and the 1920 season for ELMS and uh, WEC. The hypercar ballast will, of course, could not come until 2020. Good point uh, on that. Uh, and just before we leave the tyre thing, John, one thing that strikes me is um, a, a tyre manufacturer who uh, has been snubbed by an, uh, an FIA World Championship recently was Hanguk who put in a big money bid against Pirelli for Formula One to produce 
ultimately 18-inch rubber for high-performance motor cars. Um, it wouldn't be beyond the bounds of possibility that they might stick some of that money into sports car racing and seeing how they activate things like soccer over here in Europe as a uh, as a uh, UEFA Champions League partner, I'm not sure that would be the worst thing. Might shake up the status quo a bit. Absolutely, and they're already involved in sports car racing through their 24-hour series, obviously, that you guys cover quite well. And I think that they've also were interested in becoming one of the exclusive um, partners in the ELMS a few years ago. I think Dunlop might have um, outbid them at the time. I think for GTE, or it might have been Michelin uh, that won the, the tender at that point. But they were interested a few years ago um, in the ACO-type racing. So it definitely wouldn't surprise me to see them make a run for, for one of the categories um, when we get to the the 2020 season. Uh, John is going to stay with us. John DeGeese, the the founder and editor of Sportscar365. It's time now for another one. I've logged market. Oh, it's time now for one, uh, another one of our categories here on our show of the year. And this is Young Driver of the Year. And I hear this was a bit of a run away. The nominees were Kyle Kirkwood, George Russell, Colin Mullen, and Davide Ongaro, those were the four. By the way, keep the uh, tweets coming in for John and I to have a crack at this uh, regulation bit at Aspect Entertainment. Davide Ongaro in fourth place. Just 2% of the votes, I'm afraid, Davide. In third position, as it comes up on the teleprinter in front of me. This is really like uh, watching the old soccer results coming in on a Saturday afternoon. And Colin Mullen. In third position, one of the team at USA, guys. I've got a feeling we're going to hear that lad's name a lot next year uh, in IMSA. Already been testing a Honda TCR car. And our winner with a massive 82% of the vote. Remember, over 10,000 votes cast for the show of the year from last Wednesday to this Wednesday. Extraordinary stuff. And our Young Driver of the Year award goes then to George Russell. So George wins it. He's got the big, I'm sure this will not be the highest on his list of achievements in terms of uh, where his career is going for next year. But George Russell wins our Young Driver of the Year. We've got uh, three more to come tonight, but we're staying with John DeGeese from Sportscar 365 uh, at the moment uh, as we try to make some sense of what's coming out of the uh, World Motorsport Council, what, a couple of hours ago. Um... John, I suppose ultimately, uh, if we think back to, certainly when I think back to when the LMP1 hybrid regs came out, I looked at them and went, said to myself, these make no sense at all to me. And yet they were not only magnificently successful in terms of the racing they produced, but they forced the original equipment manufacturers, the, the big factories, the big brands, to actually do something about efficiency, both in their... Uh, internal combustion engines, certainly in their battery and motor technology. Are we on the cusp of something here? Are we? Are we not? Maybe we're just not seeing it. And ultimately, presumably, they'll rise or fall by how many cars they get in and what the racing's like. Whatever anybody thinks. 
Yeah, I, I think it'll be a different approach with these regulations because, like you said, it was a lot of technological innovations that we, we saw with the previous, the current generation of LMP1 hybrid. These new regulations still promote some innovation, but the hybrid system, you know, it goes from two hybrid systems down to one. It's front wheel driven only. It's a cost cap of three million euros, and, and the manufacturers must be able to provide those systems to customers. So I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of the cutting edge technology, a lot of the maybe, um, you know, a lot of the secretive stuff that manufacturers are working on behind the scenes in these cars, but it could help, you know, drive this platform to a new era. You know, ACO's talked a lot about hydrogen racing. Um, their move into hydrogen. Their their goal is to have a hydrogen class at Le Mans in yes. 2024. So I I think that it's still you know we need some kind of like middle ground right now to get manufacturer interest back up into the top class. Um, promote some some great looking cars, great technology, and then maybe make that next leap into a new technological revolution. Uh, I, I mean, I understand that there's a part of this as well, John, that comes down to trying to get the costs down. That the, the 20 million euros budget a year has been has been mentioned. Uh, Jesse Glickenhaus was on the show three or four weeks ago saying they've already got committed sponsors for. Uh, for that amount of money, so they're they're quite confident uh, in that. At that level, though, where's the engineering innovation? You're not going to get that, and uh, this has just come in. Uh, oh, who's just said that? I've lost it now. Um, Ike says, uh, WEC's about uh, getting it as economical as you can in terms of uh, of terms of the running budget. Is that where it is now? Spec this, spec that. Not sure that's going to work. Andreas Kochiok says open tyre format can work. Um, if Super, G, uh, Super GT in Japan is being used as a basis for ballast, their open tyre format is, is outstanding. I, 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 I take all this in. I just think we've got to see how things work out. Yeah, I think it's a wait and see. And, and much like what we've seen with the DPI platform in the States, mm. it's been very successful by having something more on the simplistic side that that produces great close racing. And um, not saying the ACO copied that formula, but, you know, you some could say this is a little bit like DPI on steroids with some hybrid um, What's DPI underneath. itch? I said that to Scott Atherton a few weeks ago when we were at, uh, at the Encore. It's, it's 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 the sincerest form of flattery imitation. It's DPI hybrid. It, yeah. I mean, that's the way you've got to look at it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it's still significantly more expensive than than what DPI is right now. You know, what you can do for five, six million for, you know, a, a one or two car team in the States, you know, you're talking triple the cost at least uh, to go to WEC. So there's still a big price differential. And as manufacturers evaluate what they want to do in prototype racing, you know, there's still some that would rather go for overall wins in, in, in IMSA and, and the key endurance races in the U.S. rather than put all their money into something like a hypercar where you have a chance to go for Le Mans, obviously the most important race in the world, but it might not have the, uh, it might not be cost effective at, at this point for, for some other new manufacturers coming into the, into the sports car racing. Who's going to be interested? That's I, I've already said, that's where it comes down. A lot of people tweeting in at Specutainment about that. Um, there was a lot of people involved in helping form these, regulations some of whom have, have walked away from the table since then where can you see the entries come from toyota is almost a given surely and they've got yeah. you know they've got the the technology uh, i think it's worth po- pointing out john just how 
Toyota fund their motor racing because, as far as I'm aware, it's unique because they don't use a marketing budget. They use their street car, their road car R&D budget to do it. Well, they've got, they're one of the world leaders in in hybrid technology and, and effectively what we're calling ERS here, uh, MGUK, uh, with things like the Prius and, in fact, pretty much everything in Toyota's range has, has got some kind of hybrid on. So Toyota's almost a given for this, aren't they? Absolutely. But then you'd also have to think, will Toyota roll out with a Ford GT-like hypercar or supercar for the road to sort of fulfill these requirements? Um, I'm not too, too, you know, this has still been really relatively new news today with, with these requirements on the, on, the, on the powertrain side. But I'm not sure of any current Toyota or even Lexus road-going model that would have the capacity for, you know, something like this in, in terms of a very high-powered hybrid and an and engine that could be used for something like this. But, you know, they've put out um, some some uh, some concept cars recently, so I, I guess anything is, is possible there. We should just mention what we're talking about here is a slight reduction in the overall power to what we've seen latterly from LMP1 hybrids, looking at something in the region of 900 horsepower, whereas in the glory days, and I'm so glad I got to see those cars running, all three manufacturers running together, it was 11, 1200, and maybe a little bit more. Um, so somewhere in the region of 900, uh, still about uh, 200 uh, kilowatts of power from the from the hybrid, which is a lo- very much more, probably four times as much as a streetcar-based system. So we're still looking at, at some quite interesting technology here, John. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a slight reduction in hybrid power compared to previous years, but like you said, there's still a lot of technology there. Um, I'm not as optimistic in terms of any new cutting-edge, you know, hybrid tech. Obviously, it's a lot much much more limited now with only a single system, but I, I think there's still a lot of potential for manufacturers, and, and going back to your question about what manufacturers are interested, you know, we know Toyota is pretty much a, a done deal. Aston Martin's very, very close to committing. Um, we know McLaren's situation where they were, you know, planning on it. Now it looks like it might hold off a year. We'll have to wait and see exactly what happens there. But I would say they're probably the third most likeliest, mm. you know, the, to, to a debut, at least in the first couple seasons. You know, yeah. one of the one of the changes with these regs is that when you enter the championship, even in year two or year three, season two or season three, you're not going to be as di- at a big disadvantage as you were in previous seasons um, under previous point. regulations. So uh, a manufacturer could wait until a couple of years later, you know, much like the DPI platform, we saw Acura enter in year two. And, you know, they were very much on the pace in, in the WeatherTech championship this season. Yeah, that That is a very good point. It's that Audi effect that used to scare people off, you know, 10, ten years or eight years of, of Audi without yeah. very much competition and people go how the heck do we even if we spend the same money how how do you buy that experience well these regulations have been written in a way so we're told by Vincent Beaumanil the man uh, behind the technical side of the ACO that actually you can spend they're saying 20 million euros but you could spend a lot more than that and I'm sure big manufacturers will but the idea is that you aren't going to get an advantage, a good enough return on your investment if you spend half a billion euros. I mean, this this kind of money, even half a billion euros, is a is a drop of the ocean. Audi's just announced, I think, 16 billion <laughs> yeah. on on uh, on electric cars. So when we're not in the big scheme of things, we're not talking a lot of money for big manufacturers here. No, not at all. And and as the budgets get 
you know, more affordable for these manufacturers. There's going to be more that'll be looking at it. And right now we knew the initial six manufacturers that, that were around the table in discussions. We know that Ford is most likely not going to be doing this now. Um, they were pushing for a global format with uh, IMSA, and that still appears to be unlikely. Um, although IMSA still has some time to decide because their current formula with DPI and LMP2 is confirmed through the end of 2021. Um, these these new regs from ACO and FIA are obviously coming on a, a year and a half earlier. So we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, out of out of the other manufacturers that were in the discussions, Ferrari was another one. Um, they were very much in favor of a customer model where they can sell cars, much like the 333 SP era. Um, not sure where that sort of stands with, with, with this announcement we saw today with, with the regs. Um, but I, I don't think I'm, I'm I, I can't speak for Ferrari, but I, I don't I don't know where they potentially stand. But like I said, I think the the most likely manufacturers for, for season one would be Toyota and Aston. Maybe, um, Glickenhaus looks to be a, a good reality as well. And we might see some other manufacturers step up, some privateers, some tuners. You know, the ACO is really targeting a lot of those groups too, like a Koenigsegg, for instance, um, that might be able to put something together. You know, some of the exotic small volume manufacturers that could really, you know, uh, showcase their, their road cars, you know, their supercars on hypercars or whatever you want to call them onto the, onto the racetrack and go for overall wins at Le Mans. Well, Jesse Glickenhaus said they'd spoken to uh, to Koenigsegg and, and they had had a, a meaningful conversation. John, stay with us. We'll wrap this up uh, with John in just a moment after our next category in our show of the year. This is nominees for race of 2018. Motul Petit Le Mans uh, was nominated by Cher Adam. Johnny Palmer nominated the Nürburgring 24 hours. Uh, I nominated the Race of Remembrance uh, with the uh, the Remembrance Service in the middle of it to mark the 100th anniversary of the armistice at the end of the First World War. And Nick Damon, uh, on a Formula One theme, as you might expect, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Many of you have been voting and... The Race of Remembrance, I still say that this is the, our most important bit of broadcasting we've ever done. Sadly, only getting fourth place uh, in that one. Formula One, third with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So was it the two big sports car races that weren't Le Mans this year? The Nürburgring 24 and Petit Le Mans, both of which went down to very close finishes. And our Race of the Year for 2018... is the Nürburgring 24. Johnny Palmer will be jumping up and down somewhere at the back of our party tonight. Unfortunately, the Nürburgring Nordschleife can't be here tonight. We just don't have the room to fit it in. Still a couple of categories to go this evening, including the Listener Award and the Person of the Year. Uh, John Daggies is here, the man behind Sportscar 365. We'll have the Listener Award coming up next, uh, but we'll just wrap this up with John. John, just uh, a few final thoughts uh, from you. Um, ultimately, what we're looking at here, and certainly the positives that we're looking at here, um, is a five-year homologation. So that's five years that you've got. If you build the car and race it in the first year, you've got five full years to be able to get your money's worth out of the design and development of a car that is not going to change and a set of regulations that aren't going to change at all. 
Yeah, that's really crucial because when you look at the height of LMP1 hybrid, you had, you know, Toyota and Porsche and, and Audi designing almost completely new cars every year. I think Porsche was the only exception to that where they used the same tub, I think, um, for quite a few years. Yes. But the the, the bodywork, the Evo kits, everything was considerably different year to year. Um, obviously, you are allowed Evos in this five-year transition, five-year period. So that does allow for styling differences. So say you model a, 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 your 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 hypercar off of a off of a newly launched um, road car then maybe three years later there might be another model that that manufacturer wants to promote and you might be able to adapt your your, your race car accordingly so that does give some flexibility there too as, as well and, and I, I think you know everything that the ACO and FIA has, has done with these regs have been really trying to keep it under cost containment and you know they said the 20 million euro budget is their target um, obviously I think manufacturers are going to end up finding ways to spend more but um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of testing restrictions um, a lot more group testing collective tests prior to the season or in the middle of the season we saw an extra um, free practice session in the middle of the Shanghai weekend recently. Um, that was actually done for a tire development test for Michelin. Unfortunately, it was actually raining during that time, yes. and they were planning to use um, slick tires for, for some development, so that didn't work out. But I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. There's also a, a clamp down on, on uh, crew members for, for the, the, the races, I think 40 crew for Correct. a two-car team. So that's a big reduction, considering the numbers of, of crew we've seen at, from the factories before. Massive. So. Yeah, everything sort of adds up. You know, one thing leads to another, and and I think this is definitely a good step in the right direction. But I think it's all about getting those manufacturers to commit, and this is the crucial time that the, the FIA and ACO needs manufacturers to make announcements now over the next six months in order to get the ball rolling even more. On a slightly tangential note, but connected to this, does. Uh, from from the outside, this would look to put clear blue water, to, the, to use a political phrase, um, which is rife over here at the moment, uh, between the ACO and the WEC and 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 IMSA. Although Scott Atherton, when we had him on at uh, at Sebring, said, you know, by the time their new regulations for DPI come around, then you know they're not against hybrid. It's just none of their partners have asked for it. In some ways, this might be a little help in hand for IMSA because they'll have an amount of time to assess, not a long time, mind you, but to assess whether a hybrid option, particularly a potentially an off, not an exactly off the shelf, but certainly shared technology hybrid option, is actually going to work and at a price that isn't going to scare people off. Yeah, and I think IMSA is definitely looking at that option for their next generation DPI, which would be in 2022, or if they were to go with these set of regulations, but I, I think it's safe to say it's probably unlikely. Um, one option has been sort of floated around is to put uh, maybe a bolt-on off-the-shelf hybrid into the front axle of the current LMP2-based DPIs, but that would require quite a bit of changes um, um, structurally. So I don't think that's an option, um, but, but I'm sure IMSA is definitely looking at what they do for their next um, wave of regulations, whether you know it'll be open to multiple constructors, whether there'll be a hybrid option or not. Um, hey, even by then, they may have an electric series um, running on IMSA weekends. I, I spoke to Scott during the Encore, um, the Michelin Encore weekend at Sebring. I asked him about the, the newly launched um, eTCR platform. IMSA is obviously the rights holder um, to TCR in North America, and he said, you know, they're keeping an extremely close eye on it because you know you look at where the manufacturers are. 
going towards electromobility and and the whole you know uh, momentum building there that there could be a lot of manufacturers interested in an all-electric touring car platform yes. that IMSA may sanction. So doing a hybrid, you know, it would be a nice complement to something like that um, should IMSA decide to go that route for its next-gen rules. John, I'll let you go. Thanks for joining us. I've taken too much of your time on what I know is a busy day. We've covered uh, some of uh, the IMSA news. Actually, whilst I've got you here, a very quick IMSA story, a bit of a shuffle around for the uh, JDC Miller Motorsport car. Um, they've gain score not coming back, sadly. So a change of numbers and a shuffling of the drivers there. Yeah, it's a big end of an era for Gainsco. Um, they've withdrawn from motorsports, at least for next year. That it ends a 14-year relationship, um, mainly with the Bob Stallings team um, that had run in Grand Am and most recently Prolly World Challenge. But um, that's resulted in a big shuffle in the driver lineup. Um, Tristan Vautier moves over to the, the, the number 85 um, JDC car, um, paired up with Misha Goitberg. And then Steven Simpson will be with um, Simon Trummer in the other car. So those are the two full-season pairings. Um, great lineups all, all around. Obviously, Tristan's been very quick. Um, he got pole at Sebring in the Cadillac. Obviously, had a bit of a mistake in the race that, that cost the team dearly You know, later in the, in the year in terms of costs and rebuilds. But... Um, you know, great to see Tristan, the newly crowned Intercontinental GT Challenge champion, land a ride and, and um, with a, a good team like JDC. I think he'll probably bring a lot to that team and trying to get them up to speed with the Cadillac platform because it is a quite a bit of a different car compared to the Orica that they'd run for the last two years. And with Barrichello coming along, um, yeah, that, 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 too. That, that makes the Rolex 24 look star-studded again. Yeah. It's really yeah, back just... to its international best, isn't it now? Yeah, and there's been rumors of some other big star names joining too. Maybe not to the likes of Alonso, but uh, maybe some other NASCAR drivers. So Ooh. it's um, it's really really interesting, and can't wait to get there in a, just a few. Well, I guess the roar is a month away. So yeah, exactly. Don't, don't remind me, John. I'm I'm heavily into first <laughs> quarter quarter flight planning uh, at the moment. John, thanks very much. I know how busy you are. Keep up the good work, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me on. John DeGeese joining us live, uh, the man behind Sportscar 365. And thank you uh, to him for doing that at very, very short notice as things changed around. Uh, tonight, uh, let's move on to our second to last, our penultimate award. It is the Listener Award uh, this uh, this particular time. We asked you to pick some people. Uh, and the top three were, uh, which went to the vote, Valentino Rossi, Toyota Gazoo Racing and Catherine Lake. Uh, so, now this was at one stage very close indeed. I think I remember Tim telling me. Third, Valentino Rossi. Ooh. So it's between. So Toyota Gazoo Racing go up against another IMSA favourite here for the listener award of 2018. You've got to remember, I'm seeing this come up on a screen. I actually don't know what's happening. And the winner for the second time tonight, Toyota Gazoo Racing edging Catherine Legg into second place for the listener's award. So the behemoth have gone through once again. And so that one then. I thought Catherine might have had a better chance there. Uh, but we have one to come. It is our person of the year. It was very close up until late in the voting. It ended up uh, 11% apart. Uh, the person of the year is our final 
uh, particular, uh, so finally, uh, category rather, and that will be before the end of the programme tonight. It's Midweek Motorsport and our show of the year. Shea Adam has been waiting patiently to come back in and... Uh, uh, I, I think I saw her over by the bar earlier on, but obviously she's our designated driver, so there'll be no alcohol. Just water. Just water. Okay, that's fine. Maybe a ginger ale. Ginger ale. All right. Very good. Uh, it's the show of the year, but we've still got plenty to get through. Uh, let's talk sports car news, uh, more sports car news, and uh, on the IMSA side. Actually, before we do the IMSA, let's do the Thunderhill 25. Former IMSA entrant, a Flying Lizard Motorsport, had a couple of uh, a couple of cars out there they had and this is their words not ours so nobody have a go there was a dude car and a chick car uh, uh, which uh, yeah uh, you know uh, not necessarily very politically correct but that was how they <laughs> how they uh, described uh, described it and uh, a fourth consecutive win uh, for flying lizard motorsport at the thunderhill 25 hour and it didn't look like it was going to happen early on john because they were running a Porsche that they were going for the overall win with. It had a broken axle very early on. Yeah. I seem to remember it was well within the first hour. They went down 13 laps to the leader, kept fighting back, fighting back, fighting back. And by, I think it was four hours to go, had taken the lead yeah. of the race. It was it was such a great effort. So congratulations. And again, it was a, a wonderful reunion. Johannes Van Overbeck driving with Wolf Hensler again, which uh, they hadn't done for quite some time. And the previous time that they had, they were both in the lizard colors. So that was really cool. And the chick car, which was a GT4. Yes. No, I'm, I'm saying that with pride. I know. Uh, Audi GT4 car, so they weren't expecting to be as far up as they were. They finished fourth overall and destroyed their class. Yeah. Some monster stints in particular from uh, Christina Nielsen. And at one point when I was listening, she was freaking out because she had just hit a rabbit that had hopped across the track. So thank you, Christina. appreciate you helping out my phobia. But yeah, congrats Christina to Flying Christina got Lizard. the bunny. Christina yes. got the... <laughs> Did you see the meme with her face on Elmer Fudd? I did. That it was, was great. funny, and she yeah. retweeted that as well. So again, um, you know that 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 humour came from her. I, I I was sort of dropping in and out and watching. I mean, the the thing about the the winning car was, if you're going to have a big issue like that, at least happen early on in a 25 hour race because yeah. you've got time to come back and come back. Because after that, they had a pretty much a perfect race. That the the car that won. Yes, and you look at some of the stints even from drivers such as Justin Marks, every time he got in the car, it seemed to just be moving up and up and up the yeah. charts. It, it was an excellent effort from all five of their drivers. Yeah, a lot of people taking that very, very seriously. Uh, let's get into IMSA then. And uh, we spoke, didn't we, was it last week or the week before about Junkos Racing? Uh, well, it's been every week, in honesty, because they've been <laughs> ripping out their driver news, which I kind of like. It, it gives focus to each of the drivers. Another one of their um, alum, it's fair to say, Renee Binder is joining mm. the team. He's going to be there for the Michelin Endurance Cup races, which means Daytona, Sebring, Watkins Glen, and Petit Le Mans. They've previously announced, I think it was last week, you're right, John, Kyle Kaiser, who's going to be driving at Daytona. Mm. And the week before that was announcing that Will Owen <laughs> was going to be their full season driver. This is the, so, reg this is the regular Junkos racing spot then for the moment. It, set your watch by it. Well, you certainly can set your watch by it, Chair, because uh, just before we came on air, 
Junkos announced that Augustin Canapino uh, will be joining the 2019 Rolex 24 Daytona. Final driver to be added to the number 50 Cadillac. Making his official debut with Junkos in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He'll be at the Raw sharing uh, driving duties with Will Owen, Kyle Kaiser and Rennie Binder. Uh, and thanks down to the support of uh, General Motors Mercosur, the Argentinian joins uh, after extremely busy season. 44 races he did in 39 weekends down in Argentina. Uh, so that's the that's the final piece in the jigsaw. Or is it? Is there another Junkos release to come out? I'm, I'm not sure. A lot of speculation um uh, about how many LMP2 cars we're going to have in IMSA competition uh, next year in t- 2019 for the 50th anniversary year, of course, uh, of of IMSA. Uh, uh, there's a story that we'll come to, which broke on Thursday, so just after last week's programme. Um, yeah, which, thank which, you, Aaron. Yes, <laughs> which takes one car out, and I'm, I think people have heard all about it now, but... but Good news because that has already been effectively that car has already been replaced with a, what looks to be a very very competitive lineup for Dragon Speed. Uh, yeah, and the interesting thing is we've got three declared LMP2 cars from other series already yeah. for Daytona. So we've got the two from Dragon Speed. We've got one from I think it's RSR Racing will be coming in, uh, but the Dragon Speed car. We already knew that Nico Lapierre, Ben Hanley, and Henrik Hedman would what be driving. What a lineup that is, by the way. Yes, and and to be competing for a Rolex watch, you think, mm-hmm. well, you're going up against those three guys. I'm just going to pack it in now. Well, now you've got a little bit more competition because Roberto Gonzalez and Pastor Maldonado will be two of a yet-to-be-announced three-car or three-driver lineup. But uh, it's going to be impressive for Dragon Speed. Nelton Julian is a man who doesn't often mess around no. with this kind of stuff. He's not only bringing in the big guns, he's bringing in the machine guns. Uh, there's no one faster than Pasta, of course. Exactly. Uh, I, I just wonder if splitting those that, that class apart, actually, for Daytona, might this year, when you can do it, um, it'll be more difficult next year with a, a WEC, if you're a WEC con- contestant, because um, there's a, a WEC race the week after, so you won't be able to do... Uh, you won't be able to do the event um, uh, in the in the next season, the 1920 season. But I just wonder if the thought of a watch might just make a few people think, well, hang on, we're going to Sebring. Why don't we get the car over there? Let's go and do uh, let's go and do Daytona. There's nothing else in between. Leave the cars yeah. there. There's a WEC test the week before uh, Sebring, the Mobile One 12 hours. It's kind of starting to make a bit of sense there, and we've got a chance of taking home a watch. I, I, I think that's, I, I think watch this space. There'll be more there. Yep. Uh, the, the reason that we've lost one of the P2 cars is because Core Autosport, uh, one of the first people to declare that they were happy about going into LMP2, wanted to. I mean, they were the best of the LMP2 guys this year. Just yeah. missed, just missed out on the championship, and we've got our WeatherTech Sports Car Championship review coming up this week as well on RS1. Check schedule for details um however not anymore they they're heading up <laughs> to the big leagues if they if if the manufacturers were worried about them in the uh, in the last set of regs they still got to worry about them now there'll be shudders running up and down the manufacturer ranks i would think <laughs> yeah 
And, uh, you know, you think about uh, Colin Brown and John Bennett pretty much every time that they have run an Orica chassis, they finished in the top two of the championship, if not top three, uh, going back to the PC days. Well, they saw that uh, ESM was having a bit of trouble, that their cars might become available, and they thought, ooh, hang on a second, we can still go for overall wins. That is the kind of competitor that John Bennett is. Mm. So he went and bought both of the cars and all the spares from ESM. They're going to be running a Nissan Enroc DPI next year, so they are still going to be fighting for overall wins, still going for the big money, but here's the difference. Now they're running for the manufacturer's championship as well because Orica was not entered in that last year. Ah, right. Good point. Uh, Endurance drivers, no change? Nope, still going to be Romain Dumas and Loic Duval, so we'll get to see what they can do in the Nissan. It'll be very interesting. I know. Think about that. And now we've got Pippo Durrani running in the Cadillac. We've got Romain Dumas running in the Nissan, oh. and uh, and Colin, by the way, there's no slouch in terms of the pace that we're going to be seeing from these cars. And considering that the Nissan last year, or this year, I guess is it still is, but mm. in 2018, got wins at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, and the Sebring 12-hour, and looked strong in every race that they ran before they had problems, that is going to be the big thing to watch. Can uh, the Browns do something about the reliability? Well, yeah, how hard do they have to run it to try and keep exactly. up there? And, and what will the what will the balance of performance uh, changes making the DPIs a bit quicker? What will that do to the field? Um, uh, you, you mentioned the both both uh, of the cars and the spares from ESM. That's because sad news is that ESM is no more. We will miss them. We will miss them mightily as a team. We were already resigned to the fact that we were losing Patron uh, as a sponsor and Ed Brown take a bowser. Um, the rest of the kit, the transport is all going to aim, I hear. Yeah, a lot of the uh, other equipment was sold off fairly soon after Petit Le Mans. Uh, a lot of the team has known about this for quite some time, so it's all been dispersed. And AIM, another team that we are welcoming into the championship this year with uh, Vassar Sullivan and the Lexus program, that is another thing to keep an eye on because from what I hear, Paul Genalosi and 3GT Racing, yes, they don't have the Lexuses anymore, but they are still looking at other oh. manufacturers and talking to other manufacturers oh. about potentially running, if not a customer program, running other cars. Oh, okay. Watch this space. Uh, just before we leave, uh core moving into GPI. What is that? I mean, we were talking about, you know, coming to play for a watch at Daytona. Um, yeah. but, th- but, I mean, there is a, a, a P2 championship this mm-hmm. season in IMSA, and core would have been the red-hot favourites, surely, yeah. particularly with Colin staying in the car. What does that do potentially then to that championship? Well, it makes people like uh, Brent O'Neill a very happy man because now his seat in his Orica LMP2 car is a whole lot more valuable. Come run with us. We can win a championship. We did it the last time that Coors stepped out of the championship. We can do it again. You look at Bobby Oracle's organization with PR1, AFS, Matheson. They didn't have a great year in 2018. They wound up switching chassis as well, going from uh, the Ligier to the Orica at the end of the season. Uh, still had Sebastian Saavedra in the car, but they did switch drivers from Gustavo Yakman. They've now got two, well, potentially one or two seats yes. available that they can sell and say, hey, come race with us. 
we've won a championship before. We're going to go try and do it again. And let's not forget there's a Le Mans entry up for grabs for exactly. LMP2 as well with a car that you can take to Le Mans. The other Le Mans entry in IMSA it comes out of GT Daytona, GT3, which of course you can't take that car, but you would get a GT LM or GTE entry. And news, big news for the WeatherTech Championship of a ninth manufacturer, <laughs> uh, OEM manufacturer, coming into GTD in 2019. A manufacturer that we've seen in other IMSA championships, but not yet in the big show. How cool is this? I mean, we're last year we had out of our manufacturers eight of them total, seven of them want a race. We're going to have nine this year. We don't, we're quickly running out of races for the manufacturers to be able to win because there are so many of them. It's going to be awesome. Compass Racing steps up with McLaren. Wow. They're going to be driving the 720S in GTD. Now, what's particularly cool about this, John? Their drivers are Matt Plum and Paul Holton. They're going to be in seven races for the IMSA GT Daytona Spring Sprint Cup. But Paul Holton has been one of the guys for McLaren factory developing the car. Yes. So he has been driving it for about a year. He understands all the nuances, all the little ways to try and get extra speed out of the car. And when they roll up to Mid-Ohio for the first GTD race of the year for that car, holy cow, it's going to be a beast. Already, uh, this is the third different team who have been drawn to this Sprint Cup, which gives a, uh, another string to the ball of of drivers and businesses, teams, businesses, who are looking for alternatives to perhaps spending the big books, uh, all of the big books. Nothing in motor racing is cheap, just some things are <laughs> less expensive than others. I know that. But, I mean, already I think this has proved the concept that IMSA introduced, uh, announced at the State of the Series at Road America by Scott Atherton. It was asked for by the paddock. You often ask yourself in those situations, well, I've asked for it, they've been given it, is anybody going to support it? Answer, yes. So that's yeah. the end of the GT4 programme for Compass, is it? Nope. They are not oh. giving up their GT4 programme. They're just adding to it. So, so, they're G- gonna so have... GT4 McLaren in um, Michelin Pilot Sport uh, Cup, Still continuing? Uh, Yes. We have yet to know if it's still going to be the same two drivers. I don't see why it wouldn't be. Matt Plum and Paul Holton are both extreme athletes and extreme racers. If they can drive two cars on a weekend, they will. But keep in mind, they've also got their TCR championship winning program as well. So pretty much Carl Thompson, Jill Beck, they're just looking to have control over every class. They want to have something in everything. But isn't that that the whole point of what, what, you know, what, IMSA have introduced in the last couple of seasons with TCR into uh, what in 2019 will be the Mitchell Pilot Cup um, with GT Daytona, GT3 into the big show, into the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, all of these things, GT4 introduced as well, all of these things have been to allow teams like Compass to build a business model. Exactly. Uh, you know, and Carl and- Thompson's jumped all over it. And he has built inside of his team a ladder system yes, good where point. you can go, you good can point. come in t- to TCR, you can move up to GT4, you can move up to GT3, and you're never leaving the Compass umbrella. It's a brilliant strategy, and it's exactly what we've come to expect from Carl. Not the first time that they've run a car in GTD. Remember they did it back oh, in yes. 2014, I want to say, maybe 2015 with the Audi. I was going to say it was uh, an Audi, wasn't it? Yes, because they have yeah. a, they did have a, a long association with Honda originally and then Audi, of course, and, and stay with Audi for TCR. 
Yes, they did four races back then. It was definitely Pierre Kleinebang who drove the car. I think it was Ray Mason who joined him in them. But I remember they did particularly well. Their first race was Lime Rock. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they can come back to the championship when they didn't have a great run in GTD the last time. Well, now they're in a McLaren. Now they're in a beautiful brand new machine that is going to be the envy of everyone in the paddock. What can they do with that thing? And our friends at uh, uh, McLaren Philadelphia are very, very excited. Oh, yeah. The Twitter sphere went mad. You know, it kind of makes sense too, John, because it's a McLaren orange car. And what's Compass's colors? Orange. Orange. Yeah. It, it's a match made in heaven. Orange, you're pleased that that worked out so well. Shea, oh, sorry, goodness. I had to say it. Uh, Shea, thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the rest Thanks, of the John. evening. And I'm we'll... going to go find the finger foods. All right, okay. There's there's some nice bowl foods. Heavy hors d'oeuvres at the moment and, and food in a bowl coming round later. Excellent. Thank you. Shea Adam, uh, off to the back of the room, I think. Very, very dapper all the team tonight, I have to say. Thank you for all your tweets. Uh, I particularly thank you to John de Geese who jumped in uh, very, very late. We have one to do. Before that, a reminder, tomorrow night at 8 and Friday night at 8, two review programmes, Jeremy and Shea joining me in both instances, 8 o'clock in the UK, 3pm on the East Coast uh, and midday on the West. It is IndyCar tomorrow and it's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship on Friday. Do not miss them. Uh, I think they're going to be quite interesting. Almost like having Jeremy on. Our person of the year. Persons, in fact. Uh, Lewis Hamilton got two votes, unusually. Jean-Eric Verne. And then the team of Nick Tandy, Patrick Pile, and Fred Makovecki. Those were the nominations for our person of the year on the show of the year. Can't see any of them here. I have to say, uh, in third place, John Eric Verne, Jev. So it's between the Porsche and the Mercedes. A distant third, I'm being told by Tim, who's not been well tonight. So well done for him. A little, little golf clap for Tim uh, this evening. Hopefully, okay for next week when we'll be back at the same time. However, we'll finish on a high with. The note that the winner is Stroke R. Tim's just put on my screen, so he's not even giving it away. He's he's really, really milking this one. Ladies and gentlemen, our person of the year in the show of the year for 2018 on RS1 Midweek Motorsport, part of the Radio Show Limited Network Channels. It's the Porsche drivers. Tandy, Pile, and Fred Makovecki. Well done, Nick, Patrick, and Fred. That is our person of the year. She couldn't split them because they worked so well as a team. And I think that's the first time then that we've had three people as our person of the year, not the team of the year. That is extraordinary stuff. Remember, well over 10,000 votes cast in just six and a bit days since we went online with this last week an extraordinary effort by you the collective Uh, and thank you to all of you whether you listen live or you pick us up on the uh, on the 
podcast. Uh, we're back to a more normal show next week. We'll have Andy Cotton back to look at more of the ramifications from the World Motorsport Council 2020 LMP regulations. My thanks to Tim Gray, the responsible adult, everyone here in the glittering surroundings, and particularly John DeGeese, Shea Adam, uh, Andrew Cotton, and of course Nick Damon. I'm John Hindoff. There's no time to explain the lava. Oh dear. Oh. The llama has got into the sausages. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.